Hello everyone and welcome to episode 4 of Game Talk. My name is Ambed Mion. Today I'm joined by Connor Haynes, Digital Media Manager of the WVU Game Developers Club. Hey guys. And Michael Dumeyer, member of the WVU GDC. Hello. Um, Game Talk is your weekly dose of the best gaming content. It's the best because we're very passionate about it and we go real in depth on these topics. Um, our first topic for today is mobile gaming. Um, so I'll, I guess I'll just kick off the, the discussion with a few statistics. In 2016, mobile gaming made $36.9 billion. Um, yeah, that's no number to scoff at. That's up 8.5% compared to 2015. And um, China accounts for one quarter of all global games revenues. Um, the console market is shrinking while the mobile market is increasing. So there's some kind of... From a console gamer's perspective, some personally to me very disturbing trends here, especially considering the nature of most mobile games, which I'm sure we'll get into. Uh, what do you guys think of the growth of the mobile game industry? Um, I think it's a good thing because I don't see the correlation. I don't think. I don't see. Really? Okay. I don't think that mobile is eating console sales. I think a lot of mobile gamers are people that would not be gamers if mobile gaming did not exist. I see. That's a very interesting way to look at it. Um, and a perspective I didn't actually consider before, because I always looked at mobile gaming as like a quick and easy, you know, they're not real quote-unquote games. They're quick things you play on your phone to pass the time while you're waiting on the bus or something. And I always kind of, I guess, personally took that as an insult to real games. I know I sound very pretentious right now, but... Right, but, um, and you're not, you're not wrong. Those exist. I mean, those smaller games, but like... Right. I think Pocket Morty's... Um, Pocket Morty's is, yeah. Pocket Morty's, what I would say, is an exception. And there, there are a couple. Crashlands. And there, there's, a, there's a lot of games. Most recent example being Pokemon Go, obviously. As right. like a I huge... Wouldn't, well, I wouldn't consider that a game with a lot of depth. <coughs> I was, right, but... I was listing games that I don't think are games people just play on the bus I or see, something. okay. Like, I think those games have enough depth that they're real games and also mobile games. But you're right. I mean, Pokemon Go could only work on mobile and it's not, I wouldn't say it has any depth at all but it's not a bad game for that and right it does some interesting things see I, I get I suppose the thing that concerns me most about mobile gaming is that aspiring developers will see the dollar signs and then opt to may, maybe make a quick buck by creating something with not a lot of content or depth where and driving these people away from creating you know um, lengthy uh, gaming experiences, the likes of which we've, you know, grow, grown up on. Right. right, and you're right, and I think that's a real problem. I mean, you see, I mean, the free-to-play model, mobile gaming, both of them right. threaten, threaten the status quo that we've come to love. Uh, but I think it could be okay. I mean, I, I have seen, I have played mobile games that I thought were meaningful and the same way console games were. And it's just... I don't know if I can agree with you It's either. fresh. It's something that... I mean, mobile gaming is still fairly new in the grand it scheme is, of things. Yeah. And I think it has a lot of time to catch up. I'm not afraid of it, is what I'm saying, I guess. Okay. Yeah, I, I would say that I am afraid of it. I think it's it's encroaching in a very <laughs> sort of sacred space. And it's it. I think it's going to bring down traditional game development... Um, and shift the sort of 
zeitgeist to a more bite-sized, um, not in-depth, you know, quick experience, which I don't think is healthy for a good gaming environment. See, I think that uh, I put mobile gaming in like the same category as flash games, like from ten years ago. You know? Okay. Yeah. And I, I, I could see them that. I way. mean, there's a difference, obviously, because right. those flash games did not make a ton of money, and mobile games do. But I, I mobile gaming actually overtook PC gaming in 2016 to be the most profitable um, gaming revenue, right. which is pretty, pretty. Personally, to me, it's disturbing, but it's pretty amazing. You know, the yeah. fact that this rapid transition as more of us have cell phones See, again you're saying transition though and i i don't think it's a transition from old to new i think it's just <clears throat> the emergence of something completely new something completely new i i mean i look at the data and that's why i say that i see the console market shrinking i see the mobile market growing but i i also you know? i i think there needs to be a change in the mobile market Oh, for, I yeah. think I, like, we can definitely both agree there like currently a game that the same game you could release on Steam for $10. You'd have to release it for $0.99, cents, $2, something. The same exact game, but, you know, on mobile. It has right. to be cheaper. And I think I think Pokemon and Nintendo right now, they, they, could make, they are they in could an make amazing position premium, to make a change. Premium yeah. mobile game. Um, I mean, Super Mario Run yeah, is Super already Mario doing Run. great for them. I would buy a full-priced Pokemon game, I think. On mobile? On I mobile. would, too. Yeah, yeah. right. And but no one has yet, to, like, no one has done that yet. You right, know, and that's what kind of concerns me. Somebody needs to, because, I mean, I I would like... It's a good platform. I mean, touchscreen games can be good. There's depth to be found there. Right. But I don't want to make a game and sell it for 99 cents. Michael, uh, what are your thoughts on mobile gaming? Uh, it's come <clears throat> It's come a long way so far. Like, it started out as, like, Angry Birds or just mindless fun, and now it's getting into the point where it's on parallel some lowered quality console games. So so you're kind of in line with Connor in thinking that it's 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 sort of a new way to play that's maturing the same way games we knew matured over time. Is that what you're trying to get at? Yeah. Um so yeah, I I can see that perspective and I respect that perspective. But being a hardcore console gamer, I just look at it and I'm just like don't like stay out of my console space, you know. I see the market shrinking. I see the mobile market growing, and it it worries me, because I'm afraid that the talent is going to be too preoccupied with making money than to develop something of great great consequence. I um. So how do you <coughs> feel about games that release on PC and uh, mobile? I mean, I, I guess that's more relevant to me and Michael so, as PC gamers, but but ge- generally to me, those games seem like. Again, like quick cashins, you know. I I don't think there's much depth to be found, you know, in in those sort of games. They just um, throw their PC version on Steam and release their mobile version on iOS and just rake in cash. So right? I'm I'm gonna turn the tables on you. Okay. Let's look at Don't Starve Mobile. Came out a year later. I didn't even know that existed. It does. It's the same game. Don't Starve's an amazing game. Oh, absolutely. I'm yeah. going to look at Crashlands, released on PC first. And you know why? Why they chose to release on PC first? Why? Because they didn't want to be seen as a mobile game. Right. Okay. Because people look down on them. So do you think, but these games, these renowned indie games releasing on mobile, um, do you think the quote-unquote casual market, the person playing Angry Birds on their phone, are the people buying these games, you know? I, 
I can't, think there's some overlap. I don't think there's enough overlap for there to be any like market consequence, though. You know what I'm saying? Like, I I think that the number of people that invest in games like um, Don't Starve Mobile or any uh, the games you mentioned aren't enough to justify it being on mobile. I would disagree. I think because I, I when think... porting it to mobile um, incur like some of its own costs and such like that. Sometimes. Um, I mean, Don't Starve, yeah, it definitely had costs, but they definitely, looking at the numbers, they made they made it back easily. So I would be interested to see maybe the numbers of Don't Starve on console versus PC versus mobile to see maybe, I, you know, the, the sort of the market, the, the market share for that product. I would say with a decent amount of certainty that the iOS probably sold best. I mean, look at Minecraft. All right. I'm pretty sure the Android and iOS version of Minecraft has caught up but to there's, the Java version. But another thing that bothers me, the Android and iOS versions of that game are severely, severely dumbed down. You know? They're not anymore. When's the last time you played it? A few years ago, I would say. Currently, um, I know Android version and iOS version are compatible with the Windows 10 edition and the Xbox One edition, I think. They can all play multiplayer together. That's pretty incredible. Yeah, so, you know, I'm going to say you got to take a step back and look at the cutting edge because that's where it's going. Okay. And I think real gaming is going to happen on mobile sooner than later. Okay, yeah. I mean, I wasn't aware of a lot of those those games you mentioned, like Minecraft and Don't Starve being pretty much one-to-one ports of their you know, more robust versions. So if, if that's true, and I completely believe that it is, then it does bode well for mobile gaming. It's just that in my experience, I've seen mobile games as, you know, you know, the Angry Birds type or the Flappy Bird type, the quick, you know, just meaningless fun to pass the time. Right, and it's hard because you can't, you can't make the games we used to make on mobile. You can't, like, an action platformer, doesn't make sense on right. mobile. An action, you know, a beat-em-up, that kind of stuff. You could maybe get by with a twin-stick shooter. But, like, uh, I want to I wanna port a platformer I'm working on now, and I've been talking to people, and there are some people that are like, oh, yeah, just go with a soft soft D-pad, and it'll, you'll be fine. I've heard other people say, go gyro controls. And it's it's a lot to think about. And then there's also the fact that I, I would naturally, because of the state of the industry, I would have to release on PC and then later release on that platform to make, you know, so people don't think I'm a mobile game releasing right. on PC. There's certainly a, a stigma associated with being a mobile developer. Yeah, and um, I I don't agree with that stigma, is what I'm right. saying. Um, I would say that I would agree with it, but you're kind of changing my mind as we're having this discussion. Um, there, There's definitely a vocal presence that's trying to shift mobile gaming to something that all... The gamers from like any cut of the cloth can take seriously, right? So, as it approaches AAA quality, as it approaches you know games we know, I think that can only benefit the mobile industry because the people that just want to spend time on the bus can do that playing Angry Birds or whatever. But the people that want meaningful experiences on their mobile devices can have that as well. Um, how do you feel about Fallout Shelter? I played it for a little bit. I thought it was a lot of fun. Well, there you go. I mean, that's, you know. And I'm also, I'm a big fan of, like, the idea of a companion app. Right. Like, 
you know, maybe a smaller game or mini game you can play on the go that's going to affect your bigger game at home. I don't think it's ever been done well. I can't think of a time. It's been done quite a few times, but never in a way that's grabbed me, I but would I, say. I do believe there's potential there. Certainly. That's uh, another yeah. kind of untapped potential of mobile gaming. I think there's a lot of potential space there. It's just something that people really need to think about and not right. just I make. suppose I suppose I should be more open-minded towards mobile games, uh, especially now that I hear that there's meaningful content to be had there, which I legitimately thought before that it was all uh, sort of these quick games. Um, what I'm going to kind of shift gears here, if you're all right with that. Yeah. Um, so sales on mobile games. You were saying, uh, how big is the market? 2016, they made $36.9 billion. So I accounted for the majority of all, uh, the majority of game sales. So you wouldn't happen to have the iOS-Android split there, would you? I would not. Okay, so it's bad. It's. I would assume majority on iOS, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, like from the statistics I've read and the advice I've seen developers giving, Android is an afterthought. It has to be because financially, it's so. I mean, piracy is so easy on Android for one thing, and then there's also just I think the demographic. I think someone who has an iPhone is more likely to buy a game than someone who has an Android phone. Yeah, just in general. And plus, I don't know. Apple's sort of penetrated the mainstream consciousness in a way that no, nothing else has, right? Right. Um, so at, from a developer's perspective, when you're looking to maybe port one of your games to mobile, um, what's the sort of thought process behind that? Where, would you pick Android, um, iOS, both? I'm Even as I, I, I would never buy an iPhone, but I would absolutely... Well, you staunchly hate Apple. Yeah, but, that's but against I'm going to port to iOS first. Right, because First it's and the foremost, smart move. It's, yeah, it's yeah. where the money is. It's where the market is. Right. Um, I'd probably, depending. I mean, depending on costs, I might even though I'm an Android fan, I would skip Android if it was going to cost me much at all. Because unless I did really, really well on iOS, and that showed that I had a presence in the mobile market, I would totally skip over Android. Because I, I mean, I've read stuff as low as one percent of their sales were on Android compared to... No, iOS. that I mean, that sounds completely believable to me. Yeah, and I, I, it's terrible, but <clears throat> that's the way it is, so... Right. Um, any concluding thoughts, guys? Uh, I think it's also worth noting, uh, Mario Run came out on iOS and way before it came oh, out on way Android. Oh, be- yeah, yeah. yeah so. I was so mad because, you know, I have an yeah. Android phone. And I Same, play but, I don't, you know, now that I've read the numbers, I don't blame them. Right, yeah. It, it was the smart thing to do, for sure. Yeah. Um, moving on... Our next topic is going to be social media and games. So that's sort of like the share button you find on your PlayStation or Xbox controller. Also Switch controller now. Um, Twi- really? Twitch, yeah, they have a share button. Hmm. Um, Twitch integration, Facebook integration, Twitter integration. Um, I know I'm not much of a social media guy, but I can definitely see the importance of it. You know, Having the ability to instantly share something cool with all your friends. Um, is pretty crucial to today's like high-speed communicative s- society. Um, yeah, so I'm gonna say, I I don't use social media a ton, but <coughs> most of the people I'm friends with on Facebook or follow on Twitter, they're all gamers, and I've never seen them use that button. Like I've never seen them. Really? Yeah, I've never seen anybody share anything from a console game. I've seen like Farmville get shared and stuff, and Facebook games get shared. But I've never seen anybody share a console game. But as a developer, 
I want people to hit that share button when they're playing my of game course. because it's the best marketing. Yeah, it's free. <laughs> yeah. It's not only free marketing, but it's free marketing of very high quality. Like right. Yeah. So, um, I don't know. I'd like for it to be more prevalent, but at the same time, it's not something I could ever see myself as an end user utilizing. So you say that um, you couldn't see yourself using it. I don't use it too much either. I use it to save screenshots and videos, but not put them online. But just from anecdotal experience, people do use that button. Like there is so many um, videos, pictures being shared constantly on Twitter, especially after they added Twitter integration. So easy to just post a pic on Twitter, have it tweet for you. Um, streaming is also a huge deal with Twitch integration. There, So many people are streaming all the time. And that's obviously the big social media integration. Right. That's how, that's where the lion's share of effort is being poured into by um, developers, making sure the Twitch integration works well. Um, kind of going off of that, uh, Michael, I know you're a big Twitch user. You stream games, correct? Yes. Um, so why don't you kind of talk about what um, streaming is like and just sort of like the how, how that social media experience adds to the way you play games. Like Twitch, like streaming is a very interactive experience for the the, view, the common viewer. Like it's different than like YouTube where you have to wait. The content creator has to edit the video and he has to read the comments and they take however long to come in and everything. Twitch, you get feedback immediately. Mm-hmm. If something's wrong, someone will tell you in chat. Right, so and it, it's it's a definitely a more like transparent experience, right? It's less... It's a more uh, raw experience, I guess, is a way to put it. Yeah. And, like, Twitch integration allows more interactivity with the stream viewer. Like, Dominia, its Twitch integration, which it just released recently, I think last week, its Twitch integration is through, uh, like, it'll take, it'll pull names from your chat and then name gladiators that as you randomly Oh, that's really cool. That's a really good idea. And it'll also allow the chat to vote whether someone lives or dies or give... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or give you, or give that's, you more loot, or whatever. I don't think they should have that much responsibility. <laughs> I, I do. I think that's um, a really cool thing. Kind of reminds me of the whole uh, Twitch Plays Pokemon experience. Oh my gosh, I was so. Into I'll that. never forget that me for neither. as long as I live. Yeah, that was one of the coolest things I think the internet's ever done. It proves that a hive mind can get things done, even if <laughs> I wasn't half sure of them are half of them are vying to burn down everything. Um, but yeah, yeah. Sorry, I kind of interrupted. They're like cluster truck. The devs actually put in a command into that game so that if they get onto the stream chat, they can actually access the game and remotely like change something, like make everything blue or make everything go faster. Oh my Cause goodness. lasers to come from uh, everywhere. Have you not seen this? No, I oh, have. It's unreal. It's it's an experience. Wow. So, I guess in the broadest ways, Twitch is a way for. Uh, Twitch is a way for large groups of people to get on, get in on one gaming experience, right? So you don't necessarily have to buy the game and play it yourself. When you can sort of enjoy it with a bunch of like-minded people, um, it saves you money um, and effort to, you know, buy and play through the game yourself, where you can just watch a beloved streamer with a bunch of friends, right? So it's it's a sort of benefit that way. Would you agree with that? Yeah. And I, I know Twitch recently they um they have a buy button now right like you can I heard about that I you can see somebody really playing do you know Michael I haven't seen it yet I don't think they've integrated it yet but they're starting to integrate like chests and everything so okay well I know they're talking about 
making it so that you can buy a game directly from the stream you're watching. Wow. And, like, the okay. streamer's going to get a cut because they were doing marketing for wow. the game. Wow, that's, that's pretty remarkable, and I, actually. I think that's amazing, and I'm a huge fan of that idea as a developer and as someone who occasionally watches streams. Right. Because I don't know about you guys, but I, I have before watched a streamer and, like, I know that the game they say they're playing is not accurate, and they haven't said the title for 20 yeah. minutes, and it, you know, it gets annoying. Um, Michael, what would you say you want, like, are there any trends right now that you're a big fan of? Like, I mean, obviously it's In really the cool. Twitch community? It's really cool Cluster Truck is having that integration and stuff, but what other things could developers put in their future games to make streaming better? One of the big, like, biggest games for stream streamers right now in terms of, like, viewer interaction, a lot of people play Jackbox because... Oh, really? You can oh, wow. put on a streamer okay. mode and then everyone can just play with you. It allows you to play with your community in a large scale in these quick games rather than have to organize, like, oh, yeah, we'll all be in the same Discord channel. There's no communication needed. You just need to put in the code and play the game. Yeah, I've played Jackbox, like, co-op with friends before, but I never... It's, like, so obvious to me now that I never even realized that the, the Twitch integration for that is perfect, you know? Yeah, that's actually very cool. Um, you have anything else on that note? Uh, no. Um, <laughs> all right. Go in. <laughs> well, that was our Twitch expert, everyone. Um, so, yeah. Um, Go I ahead. Have, are we still on social media? Is yeah, that, for okay. sure. So, um, I've been trying to, um, get a foothold, um, on social media as a developer. Uh, follow me at Proud Bomb Games. Oh, by there the way. you go. So, uh, yeah, nice plug there. I don't know how to do it. It's really hard. That you just did it? <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Like, uh, yeah, it's difficult to, um, social media, I don't know what people are looking for, really. So, like, do you guys follow any game developers or no. any, anything? You don't follow Nintendo? You don't follow? I don't, oh, you don't I don't media. do social media, dude. How about you, Michael? Uh, I think at one point I followed the developer of Electronic Superjoy. Okay. Okay, well, I'm the odd one out. I follow a ton of game developers, <laughs> yeah. and I still don't know why I follow them. Like, I mean, know. do they put, like, updates out, like, on their game? Or, like, like we just yeah. finished X or Yeah, whatever? like, they do that, but they also, they talk about their, they talk about development a little bit. They, you know, communicate to other devs. But, um, like, the game pages, I tend to not follow. And I don't, I know that people do follow them, and I don't know how to get people to follow a game page. I, um, so, I follow Sonic the Hedgehog. And I think they're... I think you've mentioned that in every episode yeah. we've recorded well, so far. Okay, All right. <laughs> so I'm going to... The Sonic the Hedgehog Twitter is a work of genius. Like, it calls out... <laughs> it's high art. Constantly. It's tweeting at other, like, big industry names and stuff. It's sassy. It, like, it's sarcastic. And it's just funny. Like, it doesn't... And I've never, ever seen it advertise a Sonic game. That's... Pretty amazing, actually. Yeah, it's it's just memery is what it is. Memery? It's, <laughs> is that a word? It posts memes constantly, yeah. And they're like, it's, and it's not like an annoying, like, your high school teacher puts memes in their slideshow right. type deal. It's it's like you're setting trends. It's actually funny. You're, you're acknowledging, I mean, they do talk about their games, and they, like, they acknowledge that Sonic 06 was a steaming pile, like, right. and they make fun of it, and... It's and they acknowledge like the other Sonic memes like Sanic and you know they add and Knuckles to the end of things and like mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff and that's great but they have what a, a million years of brand recognition to do right. all that with it's tough to get started. Another uh, thing that just came to mind is um, using kind of that share button to post pictures and videos is a really great way to spread 
goodwill of these games to people who might not necessarily be savvy with games, right? Right. So, uh, just kind of an example. I know I said I don't do social media, but this is the one exception. I actually posted a picture to Instagram the other day of a picture I took in Horizon Zero Dawn. And it, it got a lot of likes, but um, <laughs> I got what one the one thing I was looking for was a, a comment that said, where is this? And I was just like, that totally justified why I put that on there. Because I took, the game is so photorealistic and so tr- visually striking that a lot of people thought it was a real thing, like a real place. Wow. So, I mean, to, to then tell those people that, no, this is a video game, that would totally blow their mind, right? They, they'd be like, wow, this is incredible. Maybe I'm more interested in this now. Yeah, I mean, social media is where marketing is going, especially for indies. I mean, you know. For everything, I think. Yeah. Social media is it's taking the best over the place, world. Because, like, yeah. I honestly think social media is more effective than a TV commercial at this point. Like, <laughs> who, who watches TV at this yeah, point? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, I would, you know. You and have I your can't, streaming apps and I can't click YouTube. a link in your commercial. I'm just annoyed that I have to Google it. Exactly, you know? yeah. I, but you, you tweet at me. On the other hand, I don't think I've ever clicked an actual ad on Twitter. Right, but um, just to reiterate, social media is the future of marketing. Yeah. Um, more so than anything else. So. And honestly, it's a more enjoyable marketing to me, usually. It's more interactive. Yeah. Like, yeah. as a consumer, I, I try not to be, like, I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to say here. What I, I don't like commercials, I guess, and commercialism. And I don't stuff. think anyone likes commercials. but You know, well, I know people who, like, watch Super Bowl commercials and think it's fun. I, okay, that, I think that's the one exception, right? The, See, su- the whole mystique around the Super Bowl is for the commercials. Everyone's in it for the commercials. I'm not into that so much, but, like, I I voluntarily follow the Sonic the Hedgehog Twitter, and I'm pretty close to following Wendy's because they're hilarious as well. Like Wendy's as in the fast food The fast company. food restaurant, okay. yeah. Oh, no, I'm not kidding. Wendy's Wendy's does all the same. They they took a page out of Sonic's book, and I honestly I think it's inspired by it. But So it's it's pretty amazing to see how... A good social media person can sort of evangelize and spread the goodwill of a company. Yeah, right? absolutely. And you can like, you can totally turn your image around through social media. Yeah. I feel like. Yeah, it's it's become that powerful, which mm-hmm. is scary and awesome at the same time. Yeah, I mean, I used to think like, a couple years ago, the people started hiring like social media managers. And like, right. you know, at first I was just like, was what just, is this? Really? You're yeah. going to hire someone but to tweet? And then I saw that, like, the, oh, it, these guys are good. The impact it has is super tangible, you know? Yeah, like, yeah. And it just, you know, even though the Sonic Twitter's not, like, tweeting about <laughs> Sonic games, it's got, it maintains my interest in the brand. Like, yeah, it's certainly, because it's it's Sonic saying those things, you know? Yeah. So when the next Sonic product does come out, you're more open to the idea of, maybe buying it which is a stretch to say for sonic but you know oh, no i'm gonna buy it i i you're a big I, sonic guy i've liked the last few games okay like generations was good and uh, not the last few i didn't like um sonic dude Doom. yeah dude when i was in high school i think it was either late middle school or high school and i first got a ps3 i got sonic 06 oh. and i convinced myself it was the most brilliant game i ever played <laughs> i like i legitimately believe that for the longest time i was like this is this is incredible. I love the story. It's epic. It's great. And then I kind of like snapped out of it. But that's something I'll, I'm extremely ashamed of. One of my deepest darkest yeah. secrets, and now yep. everyone knows. Yep, it's out there for the world. Yeah. No, I uh, I don't know. Sonic Sonic Generations is really good. I'm hoping they can repeat it. Right. I think the last good Sonic game I played was Sonic Heroes. 
Sonic Heroes is I, pretty I good. I enjoyed Sonic Heroes. You'd probably like Generations. Yeah. All right. Uh, do you guys have anything else to add to the social media talk? This is still relevant on Sonic, but I, I am of the unpopular opinion that Sonic, that Shadow the Hedgehog was actually decent. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's another thing. <laughs> I was I was so into... Like, I was really on a big Sonic kick back in the day. And my friend my friend Ranga can attest to this. He He's an even more insane person than I am. Uh, you know how in Shadow the Hedgehog you, like, replay the game, but, like, slightly change one level and you unlock a different ending? Yeah. I think my friend Ranga, he unlocked, like, over 200 of them. <laughs> So, you actually have to be an insane person to do that. But no, I was so into that game when it came out that, like, legitimately, like, my family like went on a trip, at, like out of country or whatever. Shadow the Hedgehog was all I could think about. It's all <laughs> I wanted to do was play Shadow the Hedgehog. Uh, yeah. I was a very strange child. I was really into it too. <laughs> but um, I came to Shadow the Hedgehog. I think the last Sonic game I played was Sonic Adventure Two. That was okay. That was fantastic. I loved Sonic Adventure too. And there's never been another Chow Garden, and that the Chow Garden was so good. There's a yeah. hole in my heart left by the Chow Garden, but right. I like Shadow the Hedgehog as well a lot. All right, everyone. That concludes our Sonic the Hedgehog segment. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. All right. Our last topic for today is emulation. Um, I admittedly don't know a lot about emulation. Um, I definitely want to get into sort of the ethics of it, um, and in what cases it would be okay versus not okay. But I'm going to turn it over to Connor and Michael to sort of talk about uh, how emulation works and why it's such a big deal. So I want to talk about emulation for a little bit, just kind of tech-wise and the good things it does for a while, and then we'll get into the ethics here in a minute because I have some interesting stuff to say about that. Okay. Um, So emulation, I think, is really cool. Um, I have a lot of games that are on consoles that are not hooked up in my apartment. Right. And sometimes it's easier to just put them up on my PC. I can play them in a higher resolution. I can play them, you know, sometimes even a higher frame rate. Stuff like that. And, like, just enjoy the game in a new way. Like, Wind Wind Waker is my go-to example. Mm -hmm. The cel-shaded art style scales up really well. Of course. So I wanted to play through Wind Waker again. I tossed it on my PC. It looked like a game that could have come out yesterday. Like, it looked amazing. That's awesome. And I played through it, and it was a good time. (coughs) You know, I've also had fun. I've replayed a couple Wii games here recently. Dolphin's a really amazing emulator. Um, Also, like, my Dreamcast broke. So if I wanted to play Sonic Adventure again, I still have the game. I still paid for it. So do you use, like, a virtual emulator, or did you build, like, a Raspberry Pi? No, I have a... So even then, it's virtual emulation. Like, it's all software side. Right. Uh, But I'm doing it on my PC. Okay, okay, I see. I use Dolphin, mostly. And I also have a PlayStation 1 emulator in. Gotcha. That I dabble in. Yeah, we actually got a viewer request to talk about Emulation Station and RetroPie, um, which I did a little research on both. It seems like RetroPie, um, it, it turns like your Raspberry Pi or your PC into a retro gaming machine, and it has like um, pretty much virtu- like it emulates all consoles like around the PS2, GameCube era and back. So like that's a huge catalog of games to choose from. And just sort of getting into where I think emulation is totally justifiable is if it's of an older game you can't buy anymore, you know? Right, and I'm uh, I'm going to say, I don't want to dive into it too much because it's, it's a deep rabbit hole. I think ethically, <laughs> buying a used game is equivalent to <laughs> downloading yeah. a game into an emulator because the developers are not getting money from that used game. It's certainly, yeah. And I, the developers are not getting money from you emulating it. So save yourself the money, emulate it. Right. That's, you know, Connor Haynes said it here. If somebody else at you say, Connor said do it. All right. Uh, Michael, 
Do you have any uh, experience with emulation? Yeah, like, I've actually looked into the legality of emulation, and there's places that it'll say, as long as you own the game, emulation's completely okay. Because, well, what are they going to do? You already paid for the game. Yeah, I mean, you bought the license. Right. Yeah. Like, I've emulated a couple games just so that I could play them on... Or play them because the console that I have them on is broken. Or it just doesn't work, or I can't hook it up into my TV anymore because components now dead. It's also... It's it's a great way to preserve older titles that, you know, maybe... We'll never get a release again. Right, they're or, not being printed anymore. Right, you know. it's a it's a great way to sort of bring those to the present and share them with your friends and kind of shine light on something special that might have been missed by a lot of people. So, but there is there's an issue there, right? So, PlayStation has it. I don't know about Xbox. Nintendo has it. They've got their virtual consoles out. Right, now. right, right. But there, you want fifteen dollars for this for your twenty yeah. five year old game? Exactly. Like, yeah. I don't know. I mean, legally, they're in the right. Of there, course, aren't yeah, they? But, but, but it's not a reasonable thing to ask. Yeah, I think. Yeah, you know. But especially when emulation is so simple, right? I yeah, feel like anyone I mean, could do it. Yeah, I think they would be. Yeah, I don't know. I have a, I have a hard time with that in my own mind. I guess like, you know, like uh, if I want to play an old Nintendo game. I'm going to sit there and have a little ethical debate in my head before I emulate it or buy it on the virtual console. Because $15, I mean, I could buy a new game for that, you know? You, you really could, yeah. yeah. Like, I mean, I certainly see it from their perspective. You know, they're in the right, and plus, there's so many nostalgic gamers out there. They know that's a huge market they, they could capitalize on, right? So the the smart thing business-wise to do would be to put all of their old games on virtual console and charge for them. Right. But at a certain point, you gotta like from from the gamer's side, you gotta kind of look at it and be like, I've already bought this game once. Or, right. Like yeah. if I've already bought this game once, then I'm feel totally justified in not buying it again and playing it on a newer machine. Right. Right. It's when you get into the games you haven't purchased, then it's kind of questionable, in my yeah. opinion. Like, I mean, if I want to play Earthbound, you know. That's that's a big one that a right. lot of people because missed. there was no U.S. release, correct? I think that's Mother Three. There's Mother no. Three. Okay, yeah, you're right. You're anyway, right. but uh, yeah, Earthbound came out in the U.S., but not very many people played it. Hence, right. Mother Three not coming out in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, am I gonna go buy it on the virtual console? And like, honestly, am I gonna fire up my Wii U even? Because <laughs> I don't like doing that that much. <laughs> oh gosh, the Wii U. But yeah, um, I don't know. It's it's definitely an interesting debate, and I'm sure if Jordan were here, he'd he'd yeah, be he'd staunchly against it. Yeah, us, yeah, yeah. But um, I think it's an at its core, it's an excellent way to basically remember, like like fondly play like play games you remember fondly, and if you if you've purchased the games before, cool. If you haven't, maybe buy it on virtual console. That's kind of where I stand on that. So, um, yeah. And I'll, let's get back to RetroPie for a second. Sure. Those are very cool. Um, I thought it was interesting that they were a requested topic because really RetroPie is just a front end for a bunch of other emulators. It's just okay. like a pretty layout and like almost OS kind of thing. Where you can select. Select your games. Your select, console yeah, It's just a pretty yeah, way to okay. do it. So it's not, it's not super... I don't know. It's not anything crazy. There's it's not a, a ton to talk about there. Tool. It's just a cool thing. Yeah. Okay. 
it's something nice to look at. What is interesting that uh, me and Ryan, you know, Ryan Kubik, right. we got really into, people are making handhelds. So they're taking Raspberry Pis, right, batteries, yeah. and they're making handhelds that can play up through the N64 era. And, that's, you know, that's a huge there's deal. There's a ton of storage on there. You can download stuff, you know, and, you know, I know you can already play Ocarina of Time on your 3DS on the go, but now I could play it on my, you know, I could play the original, I could play Super Mario 60. Well, I guess that one got ported too. Yeah. Anyway, I mean, you play all these retro games. Point taken, yeah. Yeah. It's a really cool thing that you can carry them around in your pocket, and, you know, I think a homemade console is a really cool thing to begin with. Yeah, I, I certainly think this summer... I'm going to dabble in that. I want to get a Raspberry Pi and maybe upload a Nintendo 64 virtual console, maybe Game Boy virtual console onto that thing, um, and just play a bunch of old games because over the years I've either lost or sold a bunch of these old games, and it'd be nice to have them all in one convenient place again. Yeah, so... um. Yeah, so that that pretty much covers that. I think I don't think there's a whole lot more to say about the uh, the stations, but uh, I want to get back onto the ethics a little bit. Sure. The <clears throat> CEMU, which is a Wii U emulator, they're making forty two thousand dollars a month right now on is Patreon. Is this a Patreon? Okay. Yeah, on that's Patreon. That's not that's not okay. I don't think. And you know, you can almost play Breath of the Wild. It's it's playable right now. You can play Jeez. it on an emulator, which totally totally opens the game up to piracy. Yeah. Like, so ethically, that's bad. And that, like, especially a Wii U emulator, I mean, the console... The Wii had the same problem. Yeah. The I Wii mean, was emulatable. That's certainly yeah. cannibalizing a lot of N- Nintendo's sales. Yeah. Yeah, it's bad. I mean, and that's... That I mean, uh, so 42000 yeah, a my month. My question is, how has Nintendo not shut these people down yet? Because it's not illegal. Really? There's nothing illegal about making an emulator. They're totally... They're reverse engineering. They're not using any code someone else wrote. They're not doing... Yeah, there's nothing illegal about what they're doing. That's why they can be so high-profile about it. What is illegal is pirating Breath of the Wild and playing it. Right, right. But they can't can't get the CEMU guys. Wow, that's $42,000 a month. In less than a month. insanity. They went from you instantly like falling through the ground and like not being able to like basically play the game while, you know, walking underwater and stuff. Yeah. It's playable. You can play through the Great Plateau almost entirely wow. right now. Wow, that's a see that's kind of that's definitely a line too far. That's a line crossed. Like I think that's a real shame. But yeah, I mean, yeah, it's scary. Is it's what it is. it's what it is is it's it's a group of people totally capitalizing off of someone else's work. Yeah, it is. I mean, yeah, they're putting the work themselves, but it's yeah, it's and they're making money doing it. Like, yeah, it, it, I mean, if this dirty, was a, if if this was a free endeavor, I could maybe be more okay with it. But the fact that they're making forty thousand dollars a month is just yeah. scummy. Yeah, I opinion. don't know how big the team is, but you know, it's Jeez. small enough that forty-two grand a month is a good time. Yeah. Wow. It's yeah, it's unbelievable. I mean, I want there to be a Wii U emulator, don't get me wrong. Maybe in 10 years, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. When it's time. Yeah. I yeah. mean, honestly, the Switch is here. It's going to be time in two years. I'll right. Be, I'll be okay with in it. In the tech world, that's yeah, that's ages. But, um, you know, it's not time now. And I also, I think it's interesting, this isn't ethical so much, Xbox never, Xbox and PS2 are still very difficult to emulate, I believe. PlayStation 2, really? I think so. PS2's not... It's PlayStation 3 that's really hard to emulate. Okay. Right, because like of their cell arch- uh, their cell architecture. And the 360 doesn't have one yet. 
either really? does it. Okay. Not, if, I mean, there's one in development. I, I, I was reading about it the other I day. I assume that's going to happen very quickly. Okay, yeah. Michael's looking it up. But, um, yeah, I think it's interesting that those... I see. <laughs> I used to be a big Nintendo fanboy. and uh, Used to. I'm, yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway, I, I rationalized to myself, like, oh, those don't have emulators because no one cares about them. Oh. <laughs> Nobody okay, cares yeah. about... Like, they don't hold any important piece of history in gaming. And that's wrong, right? That's, like, that's objectively so wrong. wrong, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, but that's what I thought at the time. Because, like, when I was thinking gaming history, I was thinking, man. like, you got to still be able to play Mega Man, Mega Us Man as X. kids, you thought Nintendo was garbage. I loved Shadow the Hedgehog. I loved Shadow the Hedgehog. Thank God we turned out the way we did. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, I guess we'll move into our concluding segment, uh, which is games we're playing this week. Um, Michael, you want to go first? So, Stellaris just launched their new update, <clears throat> their new expansion. So, for those who don't know, uh, just kind of give them a synopsis. Yeah, I don't know what Stellaris is. Uh, Stellaris is uh, Space a Paradox 4X. and uh, Like a strategy game? Yeah. Yeah. It's live action. It's like Crusader Kings or European Universalis. It's really a standard Paradox strategy game. And they just launched their new Utopia expansion, which allowed me to turn my turtle people into robots <laughs> that's always desirable yeah. yeah and build giant ring worlds and then conquer the universe after the forgotten empire or the fallen so, empire yells at me uh, stellaris i want to say that i've played it before no i played galactic <coughs> civilizations 3 that's a different game okay never mind. So does stellaris have the modding community that like Cur- crusader kings has yes because i'm thinking like crusader kings had like the uh, game of thrones mods and stuff do, do you get a star trek mod in this uh, I'm not sure. I haven't been checking into mods. I, so I is it, like, that. on a galactic scale, or...? Like... It is galactic scale. Okay. Okay, so you go from, like, star to star. Yeah. Each star has its own planets, etc. It has its own two... It has, like, three phases of the game that just kind of naturally flow into each other. Like, you start off, like, Discovery. You just kind of roam the galaxy, finding new races. There's not a lot of diplomacy at that point. It's just, we're just going to leave you alone, and we're going to expand. Then you have your phase where you're just kind of getting everything together... You're organizing stuff. There might be some wars. And then you have the all the galaxies occupied, now we fight phase. It sounds a lot like Civilization to me, except on a galactic scale, which is pretty sweet. Yeah. It sounds like my type of game. And the tech tree is nonlinear, so you could randomly... It's all based on chance of whether a certain tech will show up in a given oh, wow. tree. Oh, that's, that's very cool. Very... Well, I mean, it's an interesting design tech. choice. Yeah, yeah. and I, I feel like that kind of simulates what technological advancement would be like, you know? Yeah. I mean, you'll still get the tech to show up. It just takes a while, and you get, like, three choices to choose from to research next, and then they, when you research one tech, you get it again. Mm-hmm. Very cool. What about you, Connor? Uh, I haven't had a ton of time to game this week, so yeah. I'm going to fall back on an old favorite of mine. Uh, That's perfectly legal. Rocket League. Rocket League, so, okay. For so the, for, for the, the three of you out there who don't know what Rocket League is, what is Rocket League? It's it's car soccer is what it is. You, uh, you're controlling these rocket-powered RC cars, and you're knocking a soccer ball around. So they just recently dropped a um, an update that is not soccer. It's a soccer ball, and you're, you're like, trying to break the floor. It's, like, breakout kind of. It's called drop shot. And uh, I don't like it because I'm a classic Rocket League guy. So I've been playing, uh, and Rocket League's just one of those games, like, I don't know how many hours I have now. It's got to be going towards 200. I know people that only play Rocket League. Yeah, it's one of those games, because, like, I'm not going to say it's easy to get started in Rocket League, because it takes a while to stop just hitting. Sucking. The, yeah. yeah. So it takes a while to be able to hit the ball, frankly. Yeah. For some people. I've been there. 
But um, the skill ceiling is just so high. Like it's a very competitive game. I mean, I think the the world champions one year because there's a pretty big competitive <coughs> scene. The world champs one year did not make it into the tournament the next year. Like, yeah, that's wow. how high the skill ceiling is. Like they dropped off. You know, mm-hmm. they didn't get worse. Everybody else just got so much better in that one year. Yeah. And like even, I'm not good at Rocket League really. I'm like, but you don't have to be good. Yeah, right? it's yeah. so much fun to just I grab have, a group of friends. I have a friends. ton of fun. Yeah, right. Like I'm, I'm good enough that, yeah, it's, it's not important. I'm good. Like, it's just so fun. Like, you don't have to be good at Rocket League to do something amazing in Rocket League and be like, oh my god, that I was can't hype. Believe, yeah. yeah, like, how did I pull that shot off? That was amazing. And you know, and uh, that's when you hit the share button. Right. Okay. All right. <laughs> You're right. You know what? If I'm being honest. I might do that if I if I had a share button on Steam. I might. Does the Steam controller not have one? No. Huh. Yeah. Behind the times. So. Well, <laughs> All right. Anyway. Um. Yeah. It's just. I don't know. It feels good to play it. It's a five-minute match. So like, if I only have five minutes, I can play Rocket League. And good, it's like fun. bite-sized fun. Yeah. It really is. Developed bite-sized fun, unlike mobile. <laughs> okay. All right. I'm just kind of yeah. tying it all together, aren't I? Yeah. Um, I uh I love Rocket League, and it's it's got it's got co-op, which isn't real like couch co-op. Like you can split the screen. Split screen is what I was looking yes. for. It's got that, um, and you can play online with one account, and it's you know that's something you don't see enough of these days, and it's a good old time. Yeah, Rocket League's a lot of fun. I can say that from personal experience. So, I vouch, I vouch your sentiment. And it's also the developers have been really cool. Like, oh, Psionic? Yeah, that Psionics. Okay, yeah, They're yeah. pushing out constant updates and, you know, new free game Free updates. Yeah, free mind. updates. Yeah, yeah. And they were, the DLC is all cosmetic. So it's been very cool. Nice. Um, yeah, I haven't had a lot of time to play either this week, so I'm going to go into an old favorite that I played, I want to say a few months ago, and that is Persona 4 Golden on the PlayStation Vita. Um, so for those who don't know, Persona is a Japanese RPG series. Um, it's specifically in Persona 4, you play as this high school student who transferred to this rural school, to, into this rural community from the city. Um, and half the game is your typical, your, your daily life. Going to school, doing after school activities, getting a part-time job. <laughs> It doesn't sound very exciting, but the other half of the game is uh, fantasy-based. So the, the the sort of premise of the game is there's this serial killer in this small town who has the ability to enter um, enter televisions, and it turns out beyond the screen of a television is a whole other dimension where um, monsters reside and there's these complex areas. So as as the player, you find out that you have this ability as well. So your day is spent going to school, being social, making friends, and your evenings are spent entering the world of the TV to hunt down clues regarding like a murder, maybe trying to track down the killer. And the way these two sides of the same coin interact with each other um, makes this game brilliant. Because things you do in the social world like can impact the skills you have in the TV world and the things you do in the TV world can unlock stuff in the social world. So there's this constant feedback of, I do this, I do X, so I unlock Y, which unlocks a better version of X, which allows me to do Z. So the sort of, the the meshing of those two elements together makes Persona extremely interesting. And beyond just that, it's 
it's filled to the brim with wonderful, wonderful character characters. It's just a joy watching them interact. The English um, dub version is superb. The voice acting is great. Um, and I think it took me 60, 70 hours maybe, my first playthrough. And at the end of it, it really felt like I went on this long journey with, with friends, you know? Like, I developed an attachment to each one of those characters because they were so well-developed. And it is an absolute joy to play through. Um, I highly, highly recommend it. Have you guys ever heard of or played Persona? Uh, I've heard of Persona, and it, it interested me because I, I'm really interested in games that have, like, really good non-combat systems. Oh, yeah. You would like, be into this. Yeah. that's And I think it kind of opened the door for other people to explore that as well. I, I might be wrong there. But. No, it totally did. It, so, Persona is actually a spinoff of the Japanese series Shin Megami Tensei. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Are you familiar with Shin Megami Tensei? It's a fighting game, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So, so Persona has that n- those non-fighting mechanics, but it takes its fighting mechanics from Shin Megami Tensei. So, really? I did not know that. Um, the fighting's turn-based. It's actually uh, like Pokemon-inspired, too. You collect different Personas, level them up. You can combine them together to make different, more powerful Personas. There's so many systems in that game that are just a, a pleasure to learn. Um, sorry, I kind of started ranting again. But no, yeah, you're good. I, you um, I didn't have anything else to say. I'm just interested in that sort of thing. Yeah, Michael, have you ever heard of or played Persona? Uh, I've heard of the recent controversy around the new one that came out. What's, what's the controversy? Uh, the developer, who develops it? Altus? A- Atlas. Atlas. Yeah. Uh, they are disallowing streams or videos oh, after a certain date. right. They're, and they're okay. issuing DMCA's and everything. So, that's a very, that's a very, I feel like Japanese companies are very stringent. On are they that. fighting spoilers? That's their whole idea. They're like, you can't stream past this point. But I'm like... The game was out in Japan a year exactly. ago. Exactly. That's, that's nonsensical. Yeah, and everybody like, knows if, the spoilers. If, yeah, everyone knows the spoilers. Plus, if you want to avoid spoilers, don't Google Persona 5 on streaming sites. You know, yeah. it's, 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 it, it's pretty absurd what they're doing. Uh, but... Yeah, that's. I think that's a topic. That's I think a topic they need to listen time. to our uh, our social media. Uh, yeah, they, yeah. Bit. If you're at Atlas, yeah, you got to listen to the rest of this episode. All right, we'll guys. <laughs> I think that's going to do it for this week. I'm Ahmed Mion. Thanks, Connor and Michael, for joining me. Um, see you all next week. Bye.